Welcome to Here We Grow, the grassroots podcast by Southwest Georgia Farm Credit focused on education and inspiring growth down on the farm, at home, and in rural communities. Whether you're a farmer or farm her, advocate, land lover, or southern dweller, we have industry experts and homegrown leaders ready to share their insights with you. Thanks for listening. All right, here we grow with episode 10. Today's episode is focused on hunting opportunities in southwest Georgia, what to expect on a guided hunt at a plantation, how to manage your wildlife property, and I would like to welcome Mr. Sean Hader, professional trapper John Etheridge, and Mr. Jim Lewis to the podcast. Thank you all for joining me today. Pleasure being here. Thank you for being here. Thank you for allowing me to be here. Well, I'm excited about this topic today, guys, um, because I am a outdoorsman myself. Getting outside in the woods or getting out on a pond is, is, is truly one of my favorite things to do. First up today on the podcast, we have Mr. Sean Hader, a landowner, a seasoned hunter, and the plantation manager at Brentwood Plantation here in Bainbridge, Georgia. Sean, what are you seeing in the woods? Kind of tell us about what y'all do to manage the, uh, the plantation, kind of what, you, uh, what you're blessed to do every single day. Well, thank you for having me. What I'm seeing in the woods is quality wildlife management. And I think all the outdoor groups, such as in WTF, the DU, uh, Quail Forever, uh, QDMA, Quality Deer Management Association, I think that's what everybody's striving for. And I think every year we see more and more of the quality wildlife management. And we're seeing more uh, wildlife, bigger wildlife, healthier wildlife. I know at a plantation we focus on that. We feed, uh, run feed feed trails and, and make sure we're seeing the, the coveys of quail we need to see. And if we're not, we're, we take measures to improve that. Okay. I know we recently had a big frost. Um, did that affect any of the birds? How did it affect the hunting on those cold days? That's it, a great question. <laughs> it, it, uh, we hunted, we hunt, uh, rain or shine and hot or cold. We were worried about what that, that bad deep frost was going to do and that deep cold to the, the coveys of these quail. And for the most part, we have not seen any change in the, in the quantity or the number of birds we're seeing. That's that's good to hear. Um, give us a little history about uh, Brentwood Plantation and how you how you found that to be your home. Well, Brentwood's a family-owned piece of property by Woody and Seal War. They've owned it since 1994, and Woody and his once they bought it, Woody and his brother started taking their customers hunting as as a way to thank them for being a customer, and and finally in 2000, a lot of those customers wanted to bring people back. And in 2005, he decided to take it to a commercial plantation. And uh, since then, we've gone from two or three hunts a week to one, if not two hunts a day, seven days a week, the entire season. From We run from November through the middle of March. Awesome. I'm sure you're tired by the end of March. What can uh, if someone comes out to Brentwood Plantation? What can they expect on a morning or afternoon hunt? We'll get here. Uh, we'll give everybody a good safety talk and let them know the do's and don'ts of quail hunting. When you're dealing with live guns and ammunition and 
convincing people that once they pull that trigger, they can't bring it back is a, is an important yeah. thing to all of us. Our dogs are like family to us. We raise our dogs. We train our dogs. A lot of them stay at the house with us. So we're we're real. Everybody's real particular about being safe. That's the that's the big start. And then we'll go out and we hunt two people at a time, four to a wagon, and two down at a time, and usually on the ground for about a half hour, and then we will keep working an area and switch out hunters, and then we'll we guide by horseback, so we'll, we'll mm. keep looking for quail and searching for quail, and we'll find that next group a good covey, and we'll chase chase those for a while. Well, I've been out there several times. I've always enjoyed my, my stay and always had a good time and, and good success, too. We always seem to find birds out there. Um, for someone that's never gone quail hunting before, kind of just tell them uh, about the dogs that y'all run, what breeds, especially, I mean, there's so many different types of pointers out there, but now you've got most plantations going to pointers and then flush dogs. So kind of tell us about the breeds y'all run out there on the plantation. Okay. First of all, you've got pointing dogs and you've got flushing and retrieving dogs. The pointing dogs, the breeds, are the main one is the English pointer. It's a short-haired dog. It's really good for the briars and the and the land that we have down here. And then you have English setters, which are a longer-haired dog. And they do a good job, and but they're a lot of work. There's a lot of grooming goes on with, with longer-haired dogs. We also have uh, German short-haired pointers that we use. And then our guests will bring, are welcome to bring their dogs. Uh, uh, we encourage them if they have a pointer or retrieving dog to bring it. And a lot of them will have uh, German wire hair pointers, uh, Llewellyn setters, different things like that. But uh, maybe the thing that's changed quail hunting, commercial quail hunting, especially in southwest Georgia the most, has been the introduction of the English Cocker Spaniel. Originally, most of the flushing was done by labs. And they're a big dog, and they're bulky, and they barrel in there, and they get the birds up. But these English cockers are small dogs. They're quick. They get up underneath the, the, the bushes and the briars. They look the quail eye to eye, and it has really increased the speed that the quail fly and get out of there and, and, and made commercial quail hunting more of a, like a, a wild quail hunt. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, I've been fortunate enough to see these dogs in action. Those little dogs, they will work themselves to death. They, uh, they're upset when you put them back in the, in the box. And they will let you know if you're, if you're in a group and you miss a couple of times, <laughs> if you watch them, they watch the hunters, and they'll look at them like, you know, my main job is retrieving, and if you're not shooting anything, I can't retrieve it. Yep. So they, they'll let you know it. Yeah, and it's funny, too. I mean, every once in a while, one of those pointer dogs will – pick up a bird and bring it back or at least halfway and they're they're sitting there running right alongside saying hey that's my job drop that bird <laughs> trying to take it away those are some yeah. awesome points and a great insight into the, the plantation life and what y'all do down there at brentwood at this time i'm going to tie in my second guest we'll let everybody chime in but my next guest today is a professional trapper mr john etheridge mr john is a professional trapper and predator hunter from tifton georgia with over 47 years of experience his motto is, have predators, will travel. John, thanks for joining us today. Uh, thanks for having me. All right. Well, like we were discussing before we uh, started recording, just kind of tell me 
how you got into this business and the, the family history that, that got you where you are today? Well, like I said, uh, when I was 13 years old, uh, my family was sitting around and we was talking about the raccoons and all that was eating uh, the peanut seed out the peanut fields. And we were, we was talking about not planting it toward the end of the river because of it. And uh, um, I told Daddy we had three traps under the, the uh, barn down there. And uh, he said that, uh, well, I'll show you what your granddaddy used to do. My, my granddaddy passed away when I was 11. I didn't even know he was a, you know, a trapper back in the day and used to sell the Sears Roebuck catalog and but it was already in my blood I didn't even know it and uh, but my daddy took me out there and showed me the sets and uh, I caught 43 coons you know using them three traps and, and back wow. th- back then they was actually uh, you know the hot the fur market <laughs> and uh, anyway I turned around and we sold them sold them coons you know we for 40 bucks a piece and then me being 13 my little wheels started turning and figured buy more traps catch more coons make more money yep. and that's how i kind of got started in it and and then from there you know i i just i just fell in love with it my passion my, my daddy would tell me that uh, you know i had more of my mama's blood in me because he was a you know avid deer hunter and i didn't care about deer hunting i was chasing critters all over the swamp down there trapping and uh but when you Find something you love to do and you're passionate with it. The more you do it, the better you get at it. And uh, and I think that's what's helped me to where I am today as far as being a successful trapper. Awesome. What is the name of your business? It's Wildlife Nuisance Control Solutions. Okay. Well, there's definitely a need for that on pretty much every farm or recreational property in South Georgia. Being a landover myself, I'm a big deer hunter and turkey hunter, and I know that there's different predators affect different species uh, differently. Uh, Obviously, you have your nesting your nest interrupters, which would be, I guess, your possums, your raccoons, now your wild hogs. But what do you see affecting, we'll go from uh, your quail and turkey eggs to then uh, white-tailed deer, but what, what animals affect which species the most? Well, what far as the nesting predators go, you have anywhere, you know, from your quail, your turkeys, and your ducks. Um, you have your raccoons and your possums. Uh, and the armadillos actually fall in the no, I was going to uh, say armadillos, too. They, they'll really... Uh, they destroy a nest. A lot of times, the the armadillos are not there to eat the eggs. They're there to tear the nest up, eat the mites and everything else that's in the hmm. nest itself. They destroy the eggs when they do that. Okay, that's really what um, for nesting predators. I would say that them three right there. We start to see skunks start to come back. Back when I was young, we had a lot of skunks, and then they died out. Um, I'm starting hmm. to see across you know the different areas. I trap all of Georgia into Florida. And I, I see different in different areas they start to come back from the striped skunk to the spotted skunk, and it's been rare. But the last three or four years, I've started seeing you know increase in that population, and and they're actually a nesting predator also. Okay. And you know, you speak about the deer and everything. A lot of people don't realize the bobcats and the coyotes. They have mm-hmm. impact on the fawns. Um, when you start messing with uh, bobcats, it, it's twenty five pounds or more. They take down deer pretty easy. I've talked to different biologists over the years and everything else, and everybody's got their own little theory, but when you kind of average it out between all of them and everything, the the scat and everything else, it shows that, you know, the bobcat is, which a bobcat is a killing machine. He kills everything. Mm-hmm. He kills everything. The coyotes, they opportunists. You know, they, if they come along something, by God, they're going to go after it. But they're not like the raccoon and all. When you're talking about nesting time, 
that's the raccoons and the possums Walmart. They're out there every day looking for them eggs, looking you know to destroy them. Uh, coyote, sure, he'll eat an egg, but he's just going to trip on it, run up to it, and 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 then just eat it. And then uh, turkey poults as they get bigger. Mm-hmm. Uh, another thing I see, you know, uh, he was talking about uh, the commercial side of it. I do trap some commercial places, and and the managers and the owners tell me taking the bigger predators out, like the the coyotes, actually help them with their hunting because uh, pre-release birds and everything. When you when you let them out and all. The coyotes and the cats, if you have a, a big predator problem, they'll go in and they'll, you know, they'll get the uh, coveys where they'll d- disperse. And, and that way in the morning when they come up there to hunt them, you know, the coveys all split up and everything because the coyotes went in there. And you can see where they killed them, you know, killed some of them and everything else. So it's harder to have your dogs hunt a covey that split up, you know, four or five different right. ways. Right. And, uh, How what far th- north? Do you go in Georgia, and, and what would be a customary fee? It varies. Um, it's how far? I'm, I'm based out of Tifton, Georgia. Um, some of okay. my clients, like I, uh, I, I come down here to Bainbridge and Trap also, and, and, and I drive every day. It's depending on how many properties we're running. You know, I have five trucks with five Polarises, and I have anywhere from five to 15 different guys working for me. I have full-time guys and part-time guys. So it consists of how you know how many guys I got involved in it, how far I have to travel. If y'all have a place for me to stay, you know what I try to do. There's some places I go, they'll put me in their cabin, or you know what kind of you know accommodations they can give me. And and plus I work that out because as you you know as well as I do, you know gasoline and everything else costs a lot. So that got, that cuts into my paycheck. So I have to figure you know, all that out too. Well, recently on on our farm and. Most of my customers' farms, we've seen the uh, the rise in the wild hog population. Uh, do y'all deal with any of the hog trapping or eradication? We we, we do some. Um, that I've actually got away from that because it's it's hard for me to get the people to do what I do as far as uh, trapping the nesting predators. And when you're handling hog situation, you you need somebody dedicated to focus on the hog. We do shoot some. Uh, I mean we. Sometimes it's been on the property. We run 14 days. I'll just give you an example up in Dawson, Georgia. We ran 14 days on the property, and a man asked us about the hogs. And I said, well, if you want us to kill them, we won't kill nothing unless they tell us to kill it. And he said, if you see hogs, you shoot the heck out of every one of them. So, yes, sir. So, and my guys, you know, if they, they love to shoot a hog. So uh, we went around. We checked our traps every day. And, and just seeing hogs, I think we, caught, we killed like 49 hogs in two weeks just riding around checking our traps. Man, that's awesome. He must have had a serious problem up there on that property. Well, it was actually three different groups, but uh, we we will do some, you know, if the landowner asks us to, but a lot of places I go to, the bigger plantations, you know, especially there's like three of them I'm involved in. It's it's totaled between the three sixty five thousand 65,000 acres, and uh, the USDA is involved in it with them. And so Mm -hmm. – they they actually got the you know the light the traps and everything else and then they got a guy going around at night doing the night vision stuff so they they eradicate them in certain ways and and when that goes on when you get the USDA involved you know they don't want the local boys running dogs in there on the on the, the hogs and they don't want us killing them either because you know different huh. the different hogs you know they they'll warn the other ones of what's going on and they'll move out of of an area so uh, that's the sounders and all that's that. interesting. So when dealing with the nesting predators and um, bobcats and coyotes, what are the type of traps, being a rookie here, I know you got some traps that are, are most 
almost like cages, and then you have some that are snare traps. What do you run most uh, of? We we have we have everything. Uh, uh, the state of Georgia allows you uh, you know certain traps, and then Florida has whole different laws. Um, you have to get permits for certain things in Georgia, and you got to get permits for certain things in Florida. And I, I think I did just not a couple months ago. They did an article on me in GON, and it's like I said in that article there that uh, if you want to trap raccoons, you can get a little five six year old kid with a DP trap and take him out there, and he can be a, a guru on coon trapping within a week. And uh, it's that easy. But uh, if, if you want to uh, tackle a, a coyote, I recommend you get somebody with my caliber. I've been chasing, like I said, I've been chasing coyotes for 47 years. I learn something every year from a coyote. Any man to tell you he catches every coyote he comes across is just flat telling you a lie. Yep. They're smart animals, that's for sure. Yes. Think about it. If I could, if I could stay long enough there other than two weeks, I'd get him. But sometimes you got mm-hmm. to wait him out. But the thing about it, like if I'm on a place and one boogers me, I got notes and everything else. When I come back, I got a pri- prize for him when he comes back around. So. On the plantations, the other form of predation that really hurts us is aerial predation. And the, the, the birds and what they do to the quail is just amazing. Yes, and, and, and saying that too, uh, uh, when you take the bigger animals out, uh, back in, i say a few years ago, they would say, well, you know, taking your, your bobcats, your fox, and your coyotes out really don't have nothing to do with the quail part. But uh, now they have learned, and it's through some studies I've been in also, when you take the bigger animals out, you, when you take the, the what I call the big three, it's, it's the coyote, the bobcat, and the fox out, you're actually, the cotton rat population goes up. And when your cotton uh, rat population goes up, that's a buffer for your quail for the, the aerial and the snakes, so they're focusing more to the cotton rats instead of eating your quail. Okay. Two huh. for one right there. I like that. All right, Mr. John, those were all great points. Um, and one thing we want to drive home today for our listeners is if, if you got a, a property and you're doing uh, wildlife management, it, it's, 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 a, it's a circle process. You can, you can feed and do habitat management, but if you're not doing predator management, you're not uh, finishing out the circle and, and doing everything you need to make your property as prolific of a hunting property as it can be. So give Mr. John a call at Wildlife Nuisance Control Solutions. Uh, His number is 229-406-5390. Again, it's 229-406-5390, and that's Mr. John Etheridge with Wildlife Nuisance Control Solutions. Well, that brings up my third guest today. Uh, Third guest is Mr. Jim Lewis. Jim is a Cocoa, Florida resident, a retired lieutenant medic, for the fire service, a passionate hunter, and a Taylor County, Georgia landowner. Mr. Jim, I heard you recently harvested a good deer on your new property. So tell us about that experience and um, what it's like to own a piece of South Georgia. Well, I appreciate the opportunity to come here. Don't hold the Florida thing against me. I do have uh, both of my parents are from Georgia. But uh, long story short, I did the public hunting thing for years. Um, Of course, now I'm leasing land and it's always been a pipe dream to be able to own your own land and obviously to kind of manicure it and work it and harvest a trophy off of it. And I was tremendously blessed. Um, I always kind of focused on that southwest Georgia corridor because of your deer genetics and because of the, the agriculture in the area. So I wanted to be pre-approved to see about buying that piece of property. And um, so I, I checked the rates, and southwest Georgia had the best rates. Nobody's paying me to say this either, by the way. I get no gratuitous anything. It's just a matter of fact. So um, 
I did crunch the numbers. They had the best rates. I met Mike Harris. And so I got pre-approved for that area, mainly Sumter and Terrell, uh, Webster County, kind of those areas. I knew I couldn't afford Worth County. And then I befriended a friend of mine. I had all my my funding secured and all that, so I wouldn't waste anybody's time. And I met a great real estate agent, Cade Wyndham, with Plantation Properties. And he's just a great kid. Stayed by my side and found this piece that came available in Taylor County and asked me if I was interested in it. And I said, well, it's a little bit further north. Is it good to your population? He goes, oh, yeah. He said, you got pockets all over the state of Georgia that offer great. So uh, it was 100 acres, 80% of it, 78 acres had been clear cut. And that kind of scared me. But it had a remnant of about 20 acres or so hardwood. And that's why I really bought it. Um, and now it's two years of regen that has all kinds of forbs, grasses, muscadine, grapes, dog fennel, you know, sweet gums, oaks, and volunteer pines. But the deer are starting to like it. So I've owned it now for probably a little over a year. And I started to look probably a year and a half ago for land, two-year regen, but the deer are starting to like it. And I, I feed all year round. Um, and I put strategic placement in the stands. And I'll say right up front, I've only owned it a year. I ended up being blessed November the 19th, Saturday morning, with a great buck for me. So really in a one year's time did I actually contribute to this great trophy? Probably not, other than not doing a little bit of predator control and not shooting does and doing the supplemental feeding. So I give a lot of credit to my adjacent landowners. Um, so apparently we're all on the same page. But that morning, um, I just got lucky. It was probably 30 degrees Saturday morning, and I uh, I already had some does come through. I could hear them. I could see them in the dark. And um, lo and behold, at 8.15, I look over 25 yards away, and you stand in there looking at me. And I just, my heart went to my throat, and I about choked on the first shot and basically <laughs> missed him. He ran out <laughs> 110 yards, and I was falling with the scope the whole time. And he turned and looked, and I shot him, and he fell. And it still took me 15 minutes to get down out of the ladder stand. It was just a gorgeous morning. It was crisp, cool, not a breath of wind. Like I said, the quail were singing. And um, it was one of those times that I was kind of lost in that reverie, believe it or not, when he walked up on me. I don't know. <laughs> I should have seen him a long time before I did. But, you know, it's just one of those opportunities you got to give thanks to God. And I was very lucky, very humbled. It's a gratifying feeling finally to, I mean, that was my first deer that was shot on the property, period. And um, I'm not a numbers guy, but it was probably in the 140s or so, maybe, and according to the taxidermist, I don't care. Um, It's a trophy to me. He he went directly from the field to the taxidermist that got caped, and then we took him to the deer processor. Um, But it's just a humbling feeling. It's it's. It's so awe-inspiring, and if I can do it, anybody can do it. I'm 63, um, and i am got my fire breaks in now, and I'm, I'm looking to, to do my burning, and I'm going to replant here hopefully by February and then do the herbicide spraying on the back. So the goal has always been to have your own recreational property, but to also manage it as a long-term investment for my son and my grandson. So I'll be replanting um, with Loblolly Pine. Um, but all in all, it, it, it's kind of like living the all-American ultimate dream. And I want to pinch myself and say this really happened. And, uh, again, I'm just tremendously blessed. And, um, if I can, again, if I can do it, anybody can do it. Awesome, Jim. Yeah, that's a great story right there. And we obviously appreciate your business. I, I was able to harvest my first deer on, our, on my brother and I's new property this year. And that one just, that hunt will stick with me a little longer than the others um, just because it was a great animal to harvest. 
I uh, had had them on camera for a few years, so I had a little history with them. My dad was actually able to be on that hunt with me too. So it's uh, whether you're in the quail woods or in the swamps trapping or in a deer stand, it, it's not the harvest necessarily. It's the time that you spent in God's great outdoors, the camaraderie you build with the, the people that are able to go on those hunts with you that are that make the memories and that last forever. Absolutely. So My um, son ended up going, and I didn't mean to cut you off, but my son ended up going the following week and from the same stand – he shot a, a good buck, a great buck, not quite as good as mine. But again, it's all about building a lifetime family memories and kind of, kind of like leaving your own legacy, really. What are some of the things that you've done as far as supplemental feeding? I mean, do you, run, do, you do any protein? Are you just running corn year round? Or? No, I, actually, I'm not trying to give any plugs to anybody else. But 4S is right. I'm in between Reynolds and Butler, Georgia. 4S is one of the prominent companies. They're right around the corner from me, so I use protein feed. I use a lot of buck muscle, too, uh, mainly because buck muscle's got this crumble, and uh, the hogs don't like it, and, and, and the raccoons don't like it as much because I've got trough feeders. I do run some corn, but, again, I don't think it really provides a whole lot of nutrition. It's definitely a candy. It's an attractant, and you attract everything. And I did, um, there were already some food plot areas, so I just opened them up and replanted those had both a summer and a fall crop, did a lot of sorghum, had uh, sunflowers, millet, uh, had some um, clover, some crimson clover. So, um, And I raised, I used to raise quail in Georgia, um, German short hairs. So quail hunting to me is is really at my heart. My family is, like I said, from southern Georgia. And it sounds like that Brent, Brentwood Plantation provides the old traditional type of hunting, which is what I remember as a kid. And uh, there's just something about being able to give back not only to the deer, but to all the wildlife, if you can, through the food plots and through the supplemental feeding. And that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to retain a little bit of water. Um, I don't have a lot of water. And since I do feed year-round, the hogs come through. They're definitely a problem. Uh, But they don't stay because I don't have a lot of food, and I'm trying to use that crumbled food, which I think kind of gums up their whatever their mouth or whatever, so they don't really like it. But that's what I did. Jim, I appreciate you saying that about Brentwood. I think that's one of the things that we pride ourselves on and the one group at a time. And we're probably as close to a private plantation hunt as you're going to get. Kind of an old-time hunt with the guides off a horseback. Kind of a different experience. Not that the other ones aren't great quail hunting. It's amazing to me around Bainbridge and Thomasville, southwest Georgia, how many quail plantations are here and how many people they bring in the area and the money. A lot of these people wouldn't even know anything about southwest Georgia and the agriculture that we have unless they came down here. Yep, I mean, right. living in Thomas Thomasville, Georgia, our little private airport on the opening day of quail season looks about like the runway at Augusta on the weekend of the Masters. Amen. It's, uh, Amen. I guess the same people share the same passions um, because it's, it's it's a sight to be to see. And one thing I've done recently um, for my my white-tailed deer and I mean turkeys too to keep the hogs out is I've started putting um, cattle panels or hog panels about four or five in a right. big circle around the, the boss buck feeders and that. The deer don't seem to, I mean, I had a fawn in there this summer, I mean, probably two, three months old, able to clear the, the four-foot-high panel. And so that, that has saved me a lot of money on corn. I mean, now you're buying it by the bag. It's about double what it was last year. So uh, definitely put right. some money back in your pocket. But a little little extra work driving the cheap posts in and uh, wrapping those panels around the feeders. But it it's really saved me, um, and I haven't seen as much 
hog presence as I have in years past. So, of course, uh, knock on wood, they'll come in there with a vengeance tonight. Like but money well spent, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. No doubt. Yeah, I'm actually thinking about, I mean, I caught, I had the typical four by eight foot, this is going into hog hunting or trapping, and I caught three right off the bat with your typical four by eight foot trap. And and from then on, just like John said, they wouldn't go back in. It didn't matter if I washed it, moved it, and whatever. And so then I considered one of those Prigman Corral traps, but man, they are expensive. Um, one of the netting traps, but they're also very effective. So um, a friend of mine suggested the same thing that you did, put the panels up and try to prevent them come, from coming in and enticing them to come and get a free handout, really. Right. Yeah, I've seen those traps. Um, I mean, for years you've heard of the, the boar buster and those other dr- big heavy drop traps, and I think this new new trap was designed where one person can go out there and set it up themselves and not have all these heavy panels. So let me know mm. how that works for you if you end up getting one because the ads are very convincing. they got a, a ton of pigs in those little corrals and – so someone had some success for sure. If you can catch that whole sounder, I think that's the way to do it. I mean, because they definitely learn. They're smart. I just can't believe how smart they are. Yep, and and to do the math for our listeners, um, a hog. If you a sounder is the whole group of hogs, and they say one pig can turn into twenty five in one year. And essentially, the math behind it is a, a hog on average will have six piglets. So say if half of those six piglets three are females those females can reproduce after six months of age and they can then have another six so if you have one sow that gets gets out the trap or you don't get and she's um pregnant you'll have 25 pigs in that same calendar year so that's why it's so imperative to stay on top of these animals you really can't kill them all with a gun so it's, it's nice to have somebody a professional like mr john to come in um, and take care of them if you really got a big problem absolutely so and then I had another question, like I'm a short hair kind of guy. And, of course, my family, they always, in that lower southern Georgia area, were prone to setters and English pointers. But do you have a favorite breed? And I would, I'd rather have one breed that could do it all. I'm part of NAVDA, North American Versal Dog Hunting Association. We try to get them to do everything. But do you have one dog in, in preference I, that you like the other? Not pointing dogs. I, I like them all. I like I, I my wife, I gave my wife a setter, and that's probably my favorite pointing dog gotcha. just because it's a lover. But really, my favorite dog I've ever owned, and we've had Goldens, and we've had a lot of dogs, always had dogs. But these Eng- English Cockers are hold a special place in my heart just because be they work so hard, and they do things you're not expecting them to do. And then when at the end of the day, they're gonna they're gonna be asleep on your lap or on your kids' laps or they're great family loving dogs. Right. So, I actually like the Boykins, believe it or not. I love them. Right. Same same size. I've never I've I've been around Boykins. I've never owned one. I've got friends that that love them. I know it's a South Carolina state dog. <laughs> right. Yeah. But the cockers just just kind of took over. And, I mean, we have people bring Boykins, and, and they do a good job. Awesome. Well, that concludes our podcast today. I tell you, that was fun. If you're looking to get out in the outdoors and hunt some quail, give Mr. Sean a call down there at Brentwood Plantation, and they'll be glad to have you come down and have a great time. If you've got problems with pests and predators on your property, call Mr. John Etheridge, 
and he will take care of your problems there. So that concludes our podcast today. I had a blast. Thank you all for joining me. For more information, visit our website at swgafarmcredit.com and make sure to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite app to get notified of new episodes, as well as follow us on Instagram and Facebook for great industry resources. Thanks again. Have a great day.